All right, everybody. I am here today with Ben Griefer. Ben is the COO of Maverick Payments. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing good. Thank you, James. How are you? Doing great. Uh, so I'm really excited, actually. We've never done a show about this specifically. And Ben and I uh, and Patty, we're going to really explore how do you scale the smaller ISOs? So we're talking about the, you know, you've got, you know, one or two reps, you've got a couple admins, and how do you scale up this business? And Ben has a unique perspective. So before we dive into that today, Ben, I'd love to get your backstory. How did you end up in this crazy industry that we have here, the payments industry? Tell us about Maverick and how that came to be. Give us a little backstory if you could. Yeah. So today Maverick is um, an FSP or, you know, what we also call a wholesale ISO. We do everything in-house. Um, we started in late 2011. Um, my father's actually our CEO. Uh, we're a family-owned operated company. Um, he started in, in 2000, was involved in another processing company and exited in 2011. And that's when we kind of spun off and started Maverick. Um, so I've personally been hearing about payments since actually I was seven years old. Um, <laughs> sure. This is the only industry I've ever worked in. So it is a little bit of a crazy industry, but it's lots of fun. And um, we're actually, we've been the most excited about it the past probably year or so um, as we've had, you know, exponential growth, um, developing a lot of technology and, and, you know, just having a lot of success. So it's a lot of fun. Well, you know, when you say that you've been at this since you were seven, I have to admit, we've interviewed a lot of people over the last couple of years, James, and I don't think we've ever met somebody that basically was born into the business. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about, Ben, uh, the other day on my, we have a Facebook uh, community, Facebook group uh, for CC Sales Pro, and uh, I snapped a picture and posted it the other day that my daughter, Quincy, who's 18 months old, she found a box of terminals that I had in her mudroom. <laughs> so she's down there like playing with a VX. 520 or whatever, you know, <laughs> and I, I said, oh, we're starting her early, you right? Know? So anyway, that's, that, that's awesome. So, so Ben, um, you know, diving into this thing, um, I know that you've worked with a lot of the smaller ISOs, you know, they've got, you know, one to five employees, they're looking to scale up. So I wonder if you could kind of frame this for us a little bit. What do you really see as the main challenges that these smaller ISOs are facing today as they try to scale up? So, you know, recently with a lot of the consolidation and the big M&A, we're seeing some fallout, you know, with smaller groups that, you know, are doing probably 10 to uh, 80 account applications a month. Right. Um, and, you know, they, they need, I think, several tools to really make them, them successful. So, you know, our kind of mentality has always been, you know, our industry is so competitive, you kind of have to have everything. So, right. you know, we're, we're good at, at, at numerous um, things within the industry, um, and that's where we've had a lot of success. So to kind of back into that, we have, you know, extremely white glove support. You know, being family-owned and operated, our culture here is very hands-on, and it's, you know, reflected with how our agents and our partners are treated. So, you know, our, our outside agents and our ISOs are, you know, getting support that I can, you know, almost guarantee they're not getting from anyone else. And that's been a huge driving force for us. Um, and then when you kind of add in, you know, the supplemental values, um, you know, our technology is, is a huge differentiator for us 
Um, it's also a differentiator for merchants to kind of offer um, or for agents to offer their merchants. And it could be fully white labeled. The whole onboarding process, you know, could be branded in a way that these agents and their sub-agents, you know, almost have their own CRM. Um, we have a very strong high-risk program. So we have agents that, you know, are able to work with kind of outside-the-box, um, you know, opportunities. Um, and then there's, you know, a lot of other kind of programs we've, we've put together that have kind of been adapted and customized to different agents, whether they need, you know, assistance with terminal placement um, or kind of, you know, customized cash discount programs. Um, you know, we kind of offer all of it, and we have a very, you know, aggressive ac approach just being a smaller company competing with, obviously, huge processors. Um, and it's been interesting because recently we've had a lot of agents come to us for high risk, and it's interesting to see that what will end up happening is they'll see how we operate and the technology we offer, um, and then we'll end up getting all of their business, you mm -hmm. know, and that's just, you know, based on the support, the, the white labeling of our dashboard, um, you know, the, the cash discount programs we have and kind of just that, that truly all in um, one stop shop, you know, kind of kind of environment. So, so kind of zooming out a little bit, and maybe not even, and that's all. That's really good information. But zooming out a little bit, not Maverick specific, but just when you're working with a small ISO. So let, let's let's make it more specific. Let's say we have an ISO that's got currently three sales reps, and this ISO owner is out selling as well. And so between the three reps and this ISO, they're doing you know 15 deals a month, right? So yep. that ISO is trying to go from 15 deals a month to 100 deals a month. What are the things that the challenges that you see that these ISOs are facing? Why is it that they're doing 15? They want to do 100. What do you see as, as you're talking to these people? What are you seeing that is holding them back, whether it is the, the, the current processor they're using or something else? What's keeping them from getting to that next level, in your opinion? It's generally a mix of a few things. We, we see a lot of the times it's the support. They're, you know, the previous processor they've submitted business to doesn't give them kind of that around the clock, you know, white glove, hands-on um, support that we do, that they need to get, you know, deals done. Sure. Um, there's also a lot of other support in terms of technology, marketing material, you know, having their sub-agents work with us directly, um, you know, having them delegate, you know, work to our support team here to get merchants onboarding and testing transactions and confirming deposits and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, you know, we recognize that the agents and the sub-agents, they are best out in the field or, you know, however it is they're talking to right. merchants and bringing on potential merchants. So our mentality has been, what can we do so they could focus more on that? We don't want them to get bogged down with, you know, customer service inquiries. We don't want to get them bogged down with having to go out and trying to get, you know, a graphic designer to do, you know, PDF material of, you know, different tools or technology we offer. So we, you know, we, we let them really leverage our entire team here. And it always boils down to kind of having everything here in house and that support that genuinely supports them to just go out and, and sign up merchants. So what, so what you're saying then, I guess, is that um, agents that cannot make that, that leap lack the support um, 
you know, because they're too busy dealing with the with the minutia rather than outselling, and that's what constrains them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a good point. And I'll tell you one thing else. One other thing you said there, Ben, that really rang true for me is um, a lot of these individuals I talk to, they have this misguided concept that, well, these are my sub-agents, and mm-hmm. so I would never want the processor to speak right. to the sub-agent. Sure. I would never want the sub-agent to have the phone number of the support. And as a result of that, they end up being a part of every sale. They end up being a part of every customer service mm-hmm. inquiry. And as the CEO of your own company, you simply cannot be involved with everything and be successful. Like you've got to step out of that and go, well, wait a second. You right. know, it turns out that Maverick in this case has a great support team. And so why don't we let them do what they're good at? Right. And then we'll do what we're good at. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying, Ben is like getting them to really focus on the thing that they do best and then leveraging your team to do the rest. Correct. And and that's where, you know, we've taken, taken kind of different positions where, you know, if, if the agent wants us, you know, to kind of speak on behalf of their organization, we'll do that. With a lot of the white labeling we've done in our dashboard, we're able to open up and respond to tickets, um, you know, where it's still within that branded agent's organization and, and dashboard we've set up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, there's concern with the sub-agents working directly with the processor or even the merchants getting confused on, you know, why am I talking to Maverick when I signed up with, you know, whoever. ABC agent group sure. or whoever it is. So we're, you know, very flexible with, you know, kind of that branding concept of, you know, let us help you guys and support your merchants. And if you want to kind of take an approach where, you know, there's not kind of this discrepancy with, you know, a new company kind of coming in and calling the merchant from Maverick, we'll work kind of on behalf of you guys as your support team. Sure. Um, I like this. So let, let's dig in a little bit more on the branding. And then I want to talk about some technology stuff too, because I know you guys have some really cool stuff there. But on the branding side, so you've mentioned several times about this idea of white labeling where the smaller ISO can leverage Maverick and you're going to brand this stuff. So just just to clarify, are we talking here about like a registered brand or are we talking about like they're registering as a DBA of your brand? How, how's that actually working in, in mm, most cases? Yeah. So there is no registration, which is nice because it's quick go to market. Um, you know, it's minimal cost. What we're doing essentially is the front end, you know, online application that the merchant uses is almost like, you know, any other online application um, form that could be used. We have it mapped though automatically to, you know, our different sponsor banks um, so that, you know, the PDF can get generated in real time. We've developed our own sign with your cursor. So merchants, you know, could literally get a link to an online application that's within, you know, a branded kind of environment for our agent. They could do um, it's four simple steps of, you know, business info, processing info, principal info. They could securely upload docs. They sign with their cursor. We have a lot of automation tools where it'll automatically go into our underwriting queue here. And the, the, the you know, focus goes back to making it a efficient and streamlined kind of acquisition process for the agent so they don't have to, you know, follow up and request a electronic signature once the application has been, you know, completed or have to go back in and submit it to underwriting. A lot of it's focused on just, you know, making it where they could continue, um, you know, essentially writing, writing business. 
So, and you know, I can, it's, it's so funny. I love doing these interviews, Patty, cause I can, mm-hmm. I, can tell, I know what our listeners are thinking. So <laughs> what they're thinking right now is everything you just said sounds absolutely amazing, but wait a second. Like, what do you mean? Because if they're, if they're leveraging their own brand and it's merchant facing, how are you getting around the registration side of it from a legal perspective? So the legal perspective is, you know, at the end of the day, it's like any other online form or application that's getting mapped to a PDF, right? So when they sign, a, a PDF is generated on our end that is like any other standard merchant agreement. It's, you know, branded with us, with our sponsor bank, um, you know, and effectively it's a tri-party with the merchant included as well. It's like what we've seen with, you know, other CRMs that will map a online form and make the, you know, the fillable fields on this online form just, you know, pretty much generate a PDF on the back end. So it's the same concept. So, so what? I, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, yeah. So yeah. I, I think I understand now. So I think what you're saying is what what Maverick Payments does is not within the scope of the legal, you know, parameters of registration. You're a technology company. You're providing branded technology, which it's up to the ISO how they use it. However, that does not necessarily mean that if I'm a small ISO that works with Maverick, the fact that you can brand everything quickly and easily is great. But if I'm going to represent myself to merchants as a processor, I would still need to consult my attorney to figure out if it would, you know, if, if I, if it would necessitate that I would register my brand. Correct. Okay. You know, All right, our, our branded agents aren't disclosing that they're a registered ISO or... Um, right, they're just coming you know, to you and saying, hey, to... here's our logo, please put this on your technology, and you're like, sure. Right, so it's... Correct. I mean, yeah, this is it. kind of a, a dive we've, we've, we've gone into on... I like that, actually. It makes the sense. CRM kind of, you know, side of it that you would see with, you know, other CRMs in our space that help, you know, manage the application and sub-agents and all that. It's just, it's value we've provided because we do, you know, we do see a lot of agents out there don't have the proper kind of CRM technology to manage sub-agents and leads and applications, and our system does. And, you know, we don't charge anything for it because at the end of the day, you know, we're obviously just wanting the merchant account business. Sure. Um, so if we could help them scale with, you know, kind of injecting the technology, branding it, making it very turnkey for them to operate, um, and then also where it's within their environment. So when they talk to a merchant from ABC Merchant Services, the merchant then gets a link to an online application that's congruent with branding. But so what you're saying then is on the front end, if I'm the merchant and ABC, you know, payment processing came to me, asked me to, you know, to, to, to sign up, the online application might say ABC payment processing. But on the back end, when you're generating the PDFs and, 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 and the paperwork, that's using your, I mean, that's coming from Maverick. Is that, is that? Did I get that right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And on the e-signature page, you know, there's obviously different kind of disclosures and opt-ins. Sure, and, sure, and sure. We're, you know, the clearly and all that. displayed there. Right. We're just right. seeing, you know, the agents like when a majority of the online app, app, gotcha. application, the whole app, acquisition process is within kind of that congruent branding, right. um, you know, of the of the agent themselves. Well, I think this is good we're having this conversation because it might seem like minutia to some listeners, but for for the small ISO that's scaling, this is actually a really big question. Very of, big, yeah. Do I register my brand or not? Right, right. And so I like what you guys are doing because 
you know, it doesn't necessarily negate that question, but it does say, look, we're, we're a technology company, we're a processing company, we're making this stuff available to you. And that allows them to scale up potentially faster. And then it's like, hey, if you need to register a brand, go register your brand. But what you guys are doing is outside the scope of that. Um, and so I like it. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. Um, so, okay. So yeah, and, and, and just to add in, you know, one interesting um, topic we've had is because we have multiple sponsor banks, um, you know, agents can get kind of confused on what bank they would want to register with. And right. a lot of the times it doesn't make sense for them just on the financial side to register with all. So here it gives us the, also the flexibility to board with any bank that is kind of the best fit for the merchant, either right. if it's higher risk, you know, or they need next day funding versus same day funding, because that could also differ um, with our different sponsor banks. So it allows them kind of a turnkey you know, way to also have on the back end access to multiple sponsor banks. Sure. Yeah. And it is, it is really interesting because I mean, as a consultant that works with these companies a lot, um, you know, I've been a big believer for a long time in working with an industry attorney to find a way around mm -hmm. this huge registration fee and this long, arduous process of registration when possible, because it's it really is only necessary on kind of a marketing side where there are different ways to present yourself. And I'm not an attorney. This is not legal advice. But, you know, obviously consult a competent attorney on this stuff. But you definitely can find ways around it being like when I was out, my, my brand, my first brand wasn't registered, but I had the specific language for my attorney that I was a payments broker. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's like my brand was as a payments broker, not a processor. Right. Um, and then, of course, I used like you did you, the processor stuff in the back. But this is really slick. It's also nice, too, for the agent perspective, because you know, for sub agents, there, you don't have to register your brand to present yourself to a sub agent. So the fact that that's all branded as well for residual reporting and stuff. So right, right. yeah, I like it. Okay, I think I think I think we figured it out here, Ben. That's good. That was good. Really good information. Um, okay, so now I want to talk about some specific sales models here. So. Let's say we have a small ISO, kind of the stereotypical 1099 team. So they're recruiting three, four agents a month. They're having some turnover um, and, you know, but they're out in the field. They're selling cash discounting or traditional processing or Clover, whatever it is. So what do you see as some unique challenges? And we might have already touched on some of them, but what are some unique challenges that you see that these ISOs face that are following that particular model? So, you know, we've had several groups come to us where they're, they're recruiting a lot of, um, you know, independent contractors as kind of sub agents under them. And the, the scalability problems we're seeing is kind of what you actually touched on earlier, which was, you know, the owner of that, that agent office is trying to, you know, micromanage their sub agents in a Everything. way, <laughs> um, you know, and getting involved right. with training, you know, customer service calls. So that's where we've had success is, we have, I mean, we have a very good reputation in, in the industry and we have a, there's a, a huge trust factor because with our agents, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a partnership. If right. they're successful, we're successful. So when, you know, we start to have kind of this engagement with the sub agents directly, um, the, you know, the owner of that agent group is able to scale it because he doesn't have to micromanage, you know, however many sub agents, because it'll hit a point where, He'll, you know, he would kind of bottleneck himself, right? He could only manage so many sub agents while trying to recruit new ones, train them, you know, sign up new merchants, uh, manage the, the relationship with customer service inquiries, et cetera. Yeah. 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 I like that. So, and then, you know, one of the other ones, I think, if I remember right, you and I talked about on a, on a call was um, residual reporting. Like talk a little bit about, 
you know, getting these sub agents paid. Mm-hmm. What 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 is the challenge there? And and maybe t- touch a little bit on what what Maverick does to help with that. Yeah. So you know, a lot of this kind of goes back to we're seeing you know these these agent offices have limited resources, right? Um, in in the case of kind of accounting or reconciliation with residuals, our dashboard has you know a whole residual tool. So they're able to set up sub agents. They're able to put in their splits. We have kind of a, a differentiation between you know low risk, uh, low risk and high risk merchants. Um, there's also the ability for them to kind of hide the residual reporting. We've seen some cases where you know the agent will work with two or three processors, um, us being one of them, and they kind of like to kind of you know consolidate um, those three residual reports into one master one. So like in this case, our system will do you know all the number crunching. They're able to export and just easily import with the two others and kind of merge this, sure. this high-level consolidated mm-hmm. report. So, you know, it does a lot of the legwork. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it simplifies the process so that at the end of the month, you know, the agent um, is easily able to kind of slice and dice all the, all the numbers. Sure. Yeah, that's it, it really is such a big deal because the other thing, too, is there's this huge trust factor where, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't have good residual reporting, I mean, talk about a bad right. experience for your subagents, oh. you know, because you already are, are most likely paying them a split that's maybe a little less than industry standard, which is OK because you're providing extra resources. Maybe it's leads or training or coaching or whatever. But and tools and tools. Right. All these things. And so and that plays into this as well, I would think, Ben. But it's it's that whole idea of. You know, when they get that residual report and they see, wow, this is detailed, this is exact, like this mm-hmm. is a real report. Right. That Ben, am I right? I mean, doesn't that kind of increase that trust factor with your with your subagents? Yeah, and then we have um, big groups as well that will even export, you know, a extremely detailed residual report out of our um, backend processing platform, which we use Thesis. We have a, an FSP relationship with them where you know, they could um, reconcile down to the penny all of their buy rates and everything. So, yes, for us, transparency is key because that's how, you know, I think these agents will get really comfortable with scaling this and just making sure that everyone here is kind of on the same page and on the same goal, which is just to, you know, to scale. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So. One other business model that I just wanted to touch on for a second, I, I, you, know, you may or may not be seeing traction with this, but I'm, I'm really interested right now in this concept of ISOs working with ISVs, um, you know, POS <laughs> providers, you know, uh, whatever it is, you know, different software solutions where they're integrating. Um, is that something you guys have seen and, and worked with is, is like ISOs that are scaling up in that way? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's been an interesting, um, you know, thing to see how, they kind of clash, right? You have the ISVs that, you know, are popular with the Payfax, and then you have kind of the, the older school um, independent contractors. Um, so we've built what we call a campaign um, in our dashboard, and it accomplishes kind of an automated boarding process that you would kind of see from a Payfax. Um, sure, you know, you could okay. set different rules with requiring, you know, field validation, um, it could automatically go into underwriting. It, it kind of accomplishes a way for the agent to get um, what ends up being a JavaScript code. They could embed on their you know website, their their landing page, where they're pointing merchants to to sign up. And then in the case that we've branded the dashboard, it's all branded. Um, so it's literally a copy and paste of this code. 
It automatically tracks the applications to them. And it's been interesting because we've had, you know, agents come to us and ask about what we're able to do for, you know, technology ISV type partners that they have looking to kind of enter the space. And this has been, you know, really cool to see because what they're doing is they're setting up an ISV as like a sub agent. The ISV will go in, copy and paste this campaign code, you know, and, and you know, immediately they kind of have this automated onboarding process that they could then send out to the merchant. So, so let's break this down a little bit because I think this is super interesting. So for those that are listening that may not quite understand how this works, so let me, let me give a hypothetical, Ben, and then you can kind of fill in the blanks and correct me where I'm wrong. So I'm a small ISO. I reach out to a niche, you know, software provider that has, you know, a POS system for hair salons, let's say. And, you know, I've got my company is ABC Processing and I sign up with Maverick. So I go out as ABC Processing and I'm selling this hair salon on my POS system. And so once they buy my POS system, I can then say now in order to get you set up, we're going to also send you a link for the, the payment processing, which is going to integrate with our POS. And, you know, as ABC Processing, what I'm able to do is I'm able to work with that POS provider, that ISV, um, and I'm able to set them up as like a sub agent so they could get, you know, 20% of the residuals or whatever in this nice dashboard that's branded. Then I would also be able to give them this little JavaScript code as well as other ways that they can very simply and easily sign up their POS clients with the payment processing through some kind of an online process. Is that, did I, did I cover all the bases there? Yep. And we're literally within the next probably two weeks, we're going to be uh, doing an enhancement to our API for onboarding capabilities nice. where, you know, in the case of an ISV, they would actually be able to onboard a customer through, you know, pretty much API calls. And in the case that, you know, this, this hair salon POS already has, say, 20% of the data on that merchant, you know, there's not going to have to be any, um, you know, duplicate data mm, entry done. Pre-fill. And yeah, right. it'll yeah. obviously just further kind of the enhance the, the customer experience. And we're seeing, you know, kind of going back to what we originally talked about was these smaller ISVs that are, you know, trying to, to offer additional tools. And in this case, it's, you know, the payments, they don't get, you know, kind of the love and the attention and the support that you would see from obviously a huge payback. It's just not really worth their time. Right. So going back to, you know, they need the support to kind of understand how it works, you know, what the expectations are, et cetera. Um, and we've even done some branding, for these specific ISVs. So we've kind of done a brand of a brand for sure. effectively this, this mm. ISV that's become a sub-agent of one of our agents. Right. right, so that way when they send it out, it does, it's not coming from ABC Processing, it's coming from ABC POS Solution. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's brilliant. And that's, yeah. that's a really important thing when people, because the whole idea with the ISV is the payment processing should be almost an afterthought. There shouldn't be any any barriers to entry right. there. It should be like, oh, I just signed up with ABC POS system. Here's my application for ABC POS system, and I just fill it out. Um, so, yeah, I like that. Um, all right, good. You know, it's there's so many other things. It's funny. I mean, we could talk about this, I think, forever for, for a long time. But um, let, let me ask you one last question. This is kind of an open-ended one, Ben. But, you know, I know that there's been so many of these smaller offices that you and your uh, company there have helped out and you've worked with. So if you could just give, like, that one tip for, you know, that, that you know, the lady who's got her, her three sub-agents and they're doing 10, 15 deals a month or 20 deals a month and they're trying to get to 50 or 100 what, what tip would you give to that owner, that ISO owner that's really trying to scale their business? It's a good question. Um, you know, the, the advice that we would have 
is to make sure that agent with those three sub-agents is aligned with a processor that is, you know, genuinely supporting them kind of on all fronts, you know, from support, onboarding, technology, transparency with buy rates and, you know, the, the Schedule A, um, you know, pretty much everything. Also offering them the tools and the technology they need to differentiate with merchants. Um, and that's what, you know, we've been successful in, and that's kind of what we're seeing is, is lacking in the market is just the smaller agent offices just don't get kind of the A to Z they need to, you know, go out there and compete and, and right. succeed. Yeah, and they feel like they need different things than just an individual agent, you know, when it comes to their sub-agents, when it comes to different things like that. And so, yeah, really, just really need, good stuff. Yeah, it's it's more like it's like mentoring almost, right? It really is. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So, uh, yeah. Ben, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, I was going to say we become, you know, good friends with, with our agents because of how much, you know, we talk to them and work with them. And, um, yeah, the adapting to what their needs are has been crucial. And, you know, we don't have kind of a cookie cutter policy. We have some agents we've worked out, you know, terminal placement programs for others where we've done some bonus programs, um, you know, some ISVs that, you know, are needing quick turnaround with minimal docs. So we've, you know, integrated uh, third party systems like the Act where we don't need driver's license or voided check. It's a, our simple online app with their, you sure. know, um, signature and they get an approval within a few minutes. So, the adapting to each one to support them properly with with what they need to really scale and succeed is is what's crucial. It really is true. Each one of them really needs um, you know customized everything <laughs> is really what yeah. I think it comes down to. So, all right, Ben, I know there's a lot of people listening that maybe have that small ISO looking to scale. Of course, they're going to want to know more about you and more about Maverick. So, where would you send them to learn more? Um, you know, they're feel uh, free to email us or, or call us. Um, our email, you know, the ideal one, which I would get included on. So obviously we can get them set up with a, a intro call and, you know, kind of get the ball rolling would be info at maverickhq.com or they could call us toll free at 800-464-9777. Awesome. Give us that phone number one more time, Ben. It's 800-464-9777. Awesome. And then the other, you said the email was info at maverickhq.com, right? Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. Ben, thank you so much for your time today. Very interesting interview and uh, just really appreciate you taking the time. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. So, you know, James, uh, I always look out for news items that sort of exemplify what a vibrant business this is. Okay. Okay. And so this one came across, actually, I think you sent this to me a, a few weeks ago, a report from CardFlash, uh, which keeps tabs on card-related income. Okay. So here we go. Fee, fee from credit cards fell for the third straight year in 2019, while Interchange posted double-digit growth. Wow. Wow, right? The drop in, in fee income um, was seen as a direct result of falling penalty fees, like 
primarily late fees, right? Right. right. Which, of course, says that people are on top of their bills. and <laughs> Right. Right? Sure. Uh, lower cash advance fees. And, and in lower cash advance fees. And this is, you know, pretty much drov- driven by, you know, what's seen as a robust economy with low unemployment and high right. consumer confidence. Right. Now, income from credit card fees fell 8.5% year over year and totaled $91.2 billion for 2019. Wow. This compares to $99.7 billion in 2018. And to go back to 2014, it was 917 hmm. So... Interchange revenue grew um, by 10.6%. So okay. fee income was down 8%. Interchange was up 10%. Right. Which is you know pretty significant I would say so. Difference. And, and just to clarify, we're talking about fee income here. Are we, are we talking about the bank's fees? Yes. Like we're they, talking about like the checking account fees. And or the issuer fees for the cards. For the cards. We're not, you know, they're, they're getting these fees from consumers. These are not like merchant fees. Right. Okay, Correct. Whereas the interchange, of course, is to merchant <clears throat> fees. Exactly. Right. Okay. So, so basically, you know, the issuers are getting less money from their from their fees on right. cardholders and more money from their interchange. Right. They, they figured out it's a little bit easier to just get more money from the merchants who have no control or say right. over it than right. it is to get more money from the consumers who actually might care. Pretty much. Pretty okay. much. So uh, hmm. in wow. all, Interesting. So here's, but here's the number that just really wowed me. Uh, in all, merchants paid $52 billion in interchange last year. Compared to forty-seven billion in twenty eighteen, right, and right. forty-two in twenty fourteen. So if only, a- if only there was an industry trend that was taking advantage of this to pass the cost on to consumers. Patty. If only, <laughs> if only, right. I mean, to me, I mean, when I when I saw this, it was like, wow. If there's an, if if you if I was an agent and I needed a good reason to sell, to sell cash, cash discounts, this this would be yeah. it. This would be it, right? <clears throat> Now, and how go, one uh, one thing I just forgot. So you said it was up ten point six percent over what period of time? One year. One year. Year over year growth. <laughs> I mean, put that into perspective. When uh, it, I think inflation last year was uh, two point five something, yeah, something around yeah. two point five. You wow. know. Okay. So you know, Ram Research, which keeps close tabs on the card sector, estimates that interchange revenues are com- charting a combined. Annual growth rate of 4.17 percent, and that's combined over 10 years. You know, com- and you know the other interesting thing about it. I posted about LinkedIn yesterday about this. Um, it's so interesting to me. Like, isn't that at some point going to affect Square and Stripe? Don't and, you think? Like their flat rate. I mean, at some point, which I guess it has. I mean, you look at Square; they just did the price increase. Right. Exactly. So, so that that kind of says it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just to sort of wrap this up, uh, the big moneymaker, from card issuer's perspective at least, uh, continues to be interest income. Um, hmm. So we had, uh, what did I say, 52 Two in interchange, billion. right? Right. right. Uh, interest income was $87.7 billion in 2019. But it is interesting, though, that, I mean, the numbers are not that far apart. No, not at all. I mean, they're making a ton of money ton off of the money. interchange. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's interesting. But you know, you and you put the interchange and the interest right together, and you're talking, you know, over a hundred twenty billion, or yeah, something. something like that. And then people are like, you know, why are there so many fintech startups? You wonder why, that's right? That's why, right there. That's there's like, exactly. there's hundred and twenty billion dollars up for grabs when you innovate. Yep. So yeah, yeah. awesome. Wow, really good information, Patty. Very insightful. Yeah. Thanks. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com.
With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, we're in this mini-series on building a merchant sales team. Yes. Uh, we talked about recruiting, had a couple episodes on that. Uh, today, we're going to switch gears and talk about training. I think this is a good timing given our interview with Ben as well. Right. You know? Indeed. Because it kind of follows through it on, does. on a lot Absolutely. of the questions Scaling that small ISO. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges people face is they recruit all these people right. and they immediately try to activate them. Let's get them to make a sale. Right. Well, you got to train them first. Mm-hmm. But there's three things I've found that are like the purpose for training. And they might actually be really surprising to people that, that haven't had success with training. So if you ask most people, why would you train someone? They would say, usually, knowledge transfer. Like, I want this person to learn this new thing. Right. Well, unfortunately, um, training is terrible for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would think to me, especially. (laughs) You would think that it would be like, you know, I'm going to teach somebody something and they get it. But actually, people rarely, like, if you're doing a live training, so a real Mm -hmm. common thing for a small ISO, they'll be like, we're going to recruit seven people. We're going to put them in a conference room for two days and train them on the industry. I see that all the time. Right? Yes. And that's not a bad thing to do, but if you test them the day after or a week after or a month after. They're not going to remember half the stuff. Oh, maybe 20% if you're Mm -hmm. really lucky, right? Sure. So then it's like, okay, well, if they're not getting the knowledge transfer, then why are we training people? And there's three reasons that you want to provide training to your team. Mm Mm-hmm. The first reason and the most important reason is to build confidence. I would agree, yes. So this is funny. If you do a survey, let's say you do a two-day live training event, and I've, I do a lot of these. So, you know, uh, at the end of the event, I'll be like, all right, everybody, how many of you think that you understood and that you really were able to grasp 50% of what I said? And they're like, yes. 60, 70, 80. Most people will be somewhere in that 70 to 80% really? range. Really, really. They'll say that they got uh-huh. 70 to 80% sure. of it, right? Sure, sure. Now, I know from experience that if I actually test them, they actually got about 20%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the cool thing is it actually does make them more confident. Sure. Because they think they know what they're talking about. And and that's why <laughs> the whole building, I mean, that's what the whole purpose is, is to build right. their confidence. Build that confidence. And what will happen is that's why people will go take action. Sure. If they feel like an idiot, they're not going to take action. They're going to go home with their tails between their legs. Exactly. Right. But if they feel like, wow, I, I'm kind of an expert in merchant sales. Like, I, I know, I understand payments. I'm going to go talk to people about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. So you build confidence. Number two is you... You provide resources. Oh, gosh. That is so important. Right? So the problem with the live training that I have, and I do it, again, all the time, but the problem I have, and I tell my clients this all the time, I'm like, if you're going to hire me to do a live training event, make sure you also hire me to make the videos Mm -hmm. that are short, not not a four-hour video of the event. No. You need three to seven-minute videos that are very specific. Why? Mm -hmm. Because no matter what I do, people are not going to remember it. Right. But what they do is if they realize they can come back later and search... I know, I remember James was talking about this objection, but I don't mm-hmm. remember what he said. Mm-hmm. Well, they can search for it, and there is the video on it. They spend three minutes watching the video. 
they're good to go. Wow. Yeah. So provide resources. So the purpose of training is to build confidence so people will take action, then to provide resources. And then the third one is one that nobody does, that I know of anyway, in, in this industry that I've talked to, and that is to visualize success. Mm. So when you get to the end of a training seminar, the thing you have to do is you have to help people to get really granular to understand what does success look like right? and get them to visualize it. So for instance, if I'm working with an ISO and they've got a, a team of people that go door to door and sell, mm -hmm. uh, my question at the end of the training for each participant is going to be, okay, which day are you going to go out in the field and start selling small business owners? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to mm -hmm. go out tomorrow or I'm going to go out Wednesday. Okay, great. All right. Which business are you going to go to first? Right. I don't know. Well, you better know. Let's figure it out, right? <laughs> yeah. So we'll get a list. Okay, here's the 10 businesses, and which of these 10 are you going to go to first? Well, this one's closest to my house. Okay, so do you know what that business looks like? Yeah, okay, so here's what I want you to do. This is going to sound corny, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes for a second, and I want you to imagine you're pulling up in front of this business. Mm -hmm. You're about to walk in and pitch them what we just talked about, merchant services. Mm -hmm. You're probably not actually getting out of the car right now. Why not? Mm -hmm. What do you need? Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't have business cards. Oh, Let's get you some business cards. Okay. You have business cards. What else? Well, I don't know what I'm going to say. Okay. Well, yesterday we talked about the opening pitch. Let's go over that again. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And sure. what happens is when they actually in their mind visualize doing the thing you want them to do, they go, well, wait a minute. What about this? Right. What do I, wait, what right. am I going to, what am I going to wear? Right. Let's right. talk about that. You have to get them to the point where they can absolutely visualize driving up to that first business, mm -hmm. getting out of their car. The hardest door to walk through every day is your car door. Yep. You got to get out of the car, Yeah. walk into the business. And again, same thing on the phone. What are you going to do? Who are you going to call first? Right? Like all mm -hmm. of this stuff, get them to visualize whatever their job is, walk them through it. Can they visualize success? Do they know what it means to be successful at this? Right. Or are they ready to take action on it? Right. Because, you know, and also I know, and you know, I mean, there's so many agents. It's like you say, getting, opening your car door and getting out of the car yes. is the toughest thing. It's huge. And so, you know, I can see, you know, you get all this training, you're feeling really hyped up. And then the next morning you wake up, it's like, what am I going to wear? What right. time do I have to leave? Where and am I going to go? Where am I going to go? And you and you backtrack right. yourself yes. into paralysis almost. Next right? thing you know, you're sitting on your couch watching Netflix and you're never going to sell anybody. Right. So there you go. Three purposes of training. Build confidence. Provide resources. Visualize success. Hey, before I let you go, go to ccsalespro.com slash team. ccsalespro.com slash team. Free ebook. I don't know how many pages this thing is. 50 pages. There it is. 50 page ebook on how to build a merchant sales team. Excellent book. Check it out. So thanks, everybody. Have thanks. a great day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.